0: The views expressed in the following episode are those of the subjects interviewed or individual presenters from the case. They do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach Freaks LLC, the Invisible Choir podcast, or cast media.
1: Reach Invisible Choir
2: explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Have you ever had a moment in time where you were in possession of some type of major information that gave you a feeling or sense of power? If so, think back to what you could have gained by using that information for your own benefit. Was it for the greater good or to indulge in some semblance of selfishness? Many people are placed in this position almost daily, each with a variation of their own story and their own piece to gain from whatever information they hold. But what if the information you held was the key to a life or death situation? What would you do? And how far would you go to protect a loved one or possibly yourself to potentially avoid or facilitate a truly horrendous situation? In today's story, one man who held such information caused the ultimate pain and turmoil for one family, just so he could spare himself of all of the destruction and chaos that he had created. Morning of April 27, 2016, 31-year-old Stephen Williams of Raleigh, North Carolina, was visiting with his young daughter in Sound, Florida, where his ex-wife, 33-year-old Tricia Todd, resided. The plan for the day was to drop his daughter off at the babysitter and then depart back to the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Raleigh, where he was stationed. Despite living nearly 11 hours away, Stephen, a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force, would often travel down to Hope Sound whenever he could, in an effort to spend more time with his daughter. Meaning that both he and Trisha remained close friends after their amicable divorce, Chaffen encouraged him to visit. Later on that morning, Stephen dropped off his daughter with Trisha’s babysitter, said goodbye and then departed on his long drive back to North Carolina. But just 24 hours later, on the morning of April 28th, Stephen received a call from Trisha’s father, David. David asked his former son in law if he had heard from Trisha, as she hadn't picked up their daughter from the babysitter the day before. Stephen stated that the last time he spoke with Trisha was during the trip down to Hobe Sound, but beyond that, he hadn't heard from her. This was worrisome for both Stephen and David because it wasn't like Trisha not to pick up her daughter from the babysitter. Concerned, Stephen asked David to keep him updated on the situation. After speaking with Stephen, David and some of Trisha's family members then drove to her home and located her white Dodge Neon parked across the street in a neighbor's driveway. Some family tried taking a look around Trisha's home while David walked over to her car. While taking a look inside of the vehicle, David noticed that the car keys were left in the ignition switch and her purse was resting there on the passenger seat. Upon observing the contents of the purse, David was unable to locate Trisha's white iPhone or her pink wallet, two items which had apparently rarely left her side. It was around this time that Trisha's family contacted the Martin County Sheriff's Office to officially report her as missing. A dire concern in their voices implied to authorities that something was very wrong. Detectives assigned to the missing person's case then met with Trisha's family to gather more information. David explained to detectives that the last time he spoke with Trisha was on April 23rd. Though it had been a few days since anyone close with Trisha had actually spoken to her, they all advised that everything appeared to be fine. Family members then went with detectives to Trisha's house and allowed them entry in order to look for any clues as to where she may have gone. Inside, detectives noted the home to be relatively clean, noting no apparent signs of a struggle. However, on the kitchen counter, there were bags full of groceries, indicating that Trisha had potentially left her home in a hurry. Unfortunately, there was nothing beyond the groceries that stood out to police, as everything inside of the home appeared neat and orderly. On the outside, however, David pointed detectives to Trisha's Dodge Neon that was parked across the street in one of her neighbor's driveways, which was something she had never done before. Coupled with the fact that the keys were still sitting in the ignition switch, and several items were missing from her purse. Still, there were no definitive clues to help explain where Trisha had gone. Detectives then asked the Todd family if there was anywhere Trisha may have gone to or if there was a place that was significant to her. Family explained that there was a beach near the Dixie Highway where Trisha would go walking every day. It was during these long walks where Trisha could be alone, a place where she could talk with God, as they put it as her faith was highly important to her life. As news of Trisha's disappearance spread throughout the community of Holbe Sound, as well as throughout the state of Florida, the Martin County Sheriff's Office began focusing on the beach, which they learned Trisha frequented. Soon, trained bloodhounds were brought in to walk along the entire beach, searching for any signs of ascent. Helicopters were also focused on looking for Trisha in a wooded area near the beach and Dixie Highway. Despite their best efforts, there was no sign or indication of Trisha at all in that particular area. While the search efforts were well underway, family members spoke with the media, explaining that the situation was far out of her character and that they found her disappearance quite troubling and odd. Her brother Nathan stated, You could put a hurricane through her, but she would still go pick up her daughter. For Trisha's father, The unknown was eating away at the Todd family. He stated, Well, I'm very concerned. You know, we don't know if she's alive or dead. While out searching the beach, law enforcement came upon a man who often frequented the area and knew of Trisha, having spoken to her on the beach here and there. Initially, the man was considered a person of interest, but was quickly ruled out after surveillance cameras near the beach showed the man sitting alone watching turtles laying eggs on the evening of April 26th. Trisha was never seen on that surveillance footage. Despite the various search efforts at the beach, Trisha was never located, and days continued passing by with seemingly no answers as to where Trisha Todd had disappeared to. But detectives had also learned of a potential love interest that Trisha was seeing, so they began following the man. Hopeful that his whereabouts would eventually lead them to her location. Unfortunately, they had no such luck. They ended up speaking to this man on a number of different occasions and noted him to be more than cooperative with the situation. He even provided an alibi for the night Trisha was last seen. Then on May 3rd, exactly one week after Trisha had disappeared, detectives traveled up to Raleigh to speak with Stephen about his trip down to Hobe Sound. During the interview, Stephen stated that he last saw and spoke with Trisha at around midnight on April 27th. At that particular time, their daughter was staying with him at his Airbnb. According to Stephen, just before midnight, his daughter came down with a fever and began asking for her mother. Stephen then texted Trisha, telling her that their daughter wasn't feeling well and that she was asking for her, to which she texted back, "Okay." I'm on my way. Being that Trisha was a registered nurse, Stephen knew that if anything was seriously wrong with their child, Trisha would know. And once she arrived, Trisha checked out their child and assured Stephen that all appeared well. Trisha then stayed to comfort her daughter until the young girl fell asleep. Stephen then put her in bed and walked Trisha back out to her car. The two talked for a brief moment before she went to drive back home. Stephen stated that it was roughly 1.30 in the morning when Trisha was set to leave. Stephen recalled that after starting her car and backing down the driveway, Trisha's car then began sputtering and stalled, and she explained to him that she had run out of gas. Once Stephen was able to help put Trisha's car back to the side of the road in front of his Airbnb, he saw a neighbor who was outside by his garage. Stephen walked over and asked the man if he had a gas can that he could borrow to go get some gasoline to which the neighbor provided him. Stephen then told Trisha that he would be back and departed for the gas station, and at around 2 a.m., he returned and put gasoline into Trisha's vehicle. They then exchanged a few words about dropping their daughter off the next morning with the babysitter, and then Stephen watched as Trisha departed down the road. Stephen explained that it was the last contact he had with Trisha. Back in Hove Sound, search efforts were quickly becoming exhausted. And on May 10th, just after two weeks after Trisha first went missing, the Martin County Sheriff's Office announced they would be scaling back and suspending the ground search for Trisha. One question by the media, Detective Michael Oliver, the lead investigator on the case, explained what the transition meant in terms of the investigation moving forward.
3: Okay, the question is, now that we've suspended
0: the ground search, what are we going to do, essentially? There's, there's different ways to put it. Suspending the ground search... I could say we've suspended the ground search. What I can tell you is we've exhausted just about all efforts here in this area where we believe her to be. If we get new information, we will follow up on it. And if need be, I can tell you, we got information right now that she is somewhere outside of this area or even in this area. We will use every resource available to locate her wherever we have to go. We'll go do it. That same day, Trisha's mother, Rebecca, spoke with the media, pleading for anyone with information to come forward.
4: It's been a really difficult time for our family with Tricia missing, but um, I'm asking everyone to continue to search. Uh, someone out there knows something or is seeing something and the more you spread her picture and information around, the more likely it's gonna get in the right hands to the right person that knows something. So I would just uh, appreciate you can to, you know, your continued support in that way. Please keep Trisha in your thoughts and your prayers. And we just appreciate all you've done and are continuing to do. Thank you.
0: While there were so many questions remaining in the case, most revolved around Stephen Williams, who was allegedly the last known person to see Trisha alive. Martin County Sheriff William Snyder stated, Nothing in Mr. Williams' lengthy interview, and it was long and detailed, nor his polygraph exam indicated that he was involved or had any additional information about Trisha Todd's disappearance. Despite people's growing curiosity about Stephen, the Todd family stood behind him during their own struggles with Trisha's disappearance. But soon enough, detectives would find things in their investigation which showed that Stephen, the upstanding airman with a clean record, had a much darker side than anyone was aware of. Although the ground searches for 33-year-old Trisha Todd were suspended, detectives were hard at work investigating what happened to her after leaving her ex-husband's Airbnb during the early morning hours of April 27. Eventually, they were tipped off that Trisha often posted to her online blog entitled Beauty for Ashes, a place where Trisha, aka Aurora Dreams 23, could post her innermost thoughts to the world and those who knew of her blog was also a place where Trisha was able to talk freely about the ups and downs of marriage, with her most recent posts appearing near the top of the page.
4: October 2nd, 2010. Tired. Physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted from my clinical week at the hospital. I used to wonder how I could do three care plans. Two of my patients got discharged, so I had five to do. Worn out still. Thankful that Sunday is a day of rest. Stephen has planned us a grand vacation when he comes home for Christmas. He totally gave me something to live for on this day of absolute exhaustion. September 24th, 2010. Cute on Facebook. My hubby was being cute tonight. I wanted to save it. He changed his profile pic too. Apparently, to show some girls who have been all over his page what the deal is.
0: On this particular post, Stephen commented... See, true love does conquer all. Within the postings of Trisha's blog, she often attached photos of what she and Stephen were out doing. In one photo, the couple are seen happily gardening outside of their home. In the next, they were enjoying a date night together, smiling at the camera while sharing an ice cream cone. But as detectives dug deeper into the online journal, one post stood out to them that made them dig even deeper.
4: November 3rd. 2009. Stephen, important. Don't miss. I had a beautiful affair with my husband last night. We cooked the most delicious dinner. I made him my sacred banana bread. Then he played the piano for me. He played my favorite love songs and we sang together. I got angry and stormed out. That is when the true feelings came out. The feelings I had been afraid to voice. In case you are out of the loop, Stephen and I have been separated for maybe two years. We tried to reconcile once. About two and a half months ago, I got a heavy burden to pray for Stephen. I did not want to pray for him because I did not want to get back with him. I could not escape the burden. I met Stephen a couple Saturdays ago. I could tell that the man he once was, he no longer is. I do not have to speak in defense of my husband. I choose to trust God.
0: In a post from August of 2009, detectives began to learn some of the disturbing behaviors that Stephen hid behind closed doors. Please be warned, the following post depicts violence and cruelty towards animals.
4: August 2009. It takes a truly evil person to kill such a sweet kitten. That's when I finally saw him for what he was and left him. I have forgiven my soon-to-be ex-husband for many things, but have been holding out on these things.
0: Further postings spoke of how Stephen strangled and broke the neck of her kitten, and in a separate and equally horrifying incident, he was alleged to have kicked her dog until it died. For all that seemed good throughout the years, these postings directly contradicted the poster boy appearance that Stephen gave off to others. Detectives traveled to the Airbnb that Stephen stayed in for the duration of his trip in late April, and they ended up speaking with the neighbor who was alleged to have let Stephen borrow a gas can to get fuel for Trisha's car. The neighbor told detectives that he was asked by Stephen for a gas can at around 1.40 a.m., but explained that he never provided him with one. He advised detectives that while he was in his garage, he watched as Stephen moved a white Dodge Neon from the driveway out to the street before proceeding to drive the car away. Roughly 15 or so minutes later, the neighbor then saw Stephen return with the car. A short while after that, the man watched as Stephen drove away once again in the Dodge Neon, but never saw it return. The neighbor stated that he then went back into his home for the night at around 2.15 in the morning. Some of what that neighbor told detectives was much different than what Stephen had told them during their initial conversation with him. They then decided to pull surveillance footage from the route to and from Trisha's home during the early morning hours of April 27th. While reviewing the footage they were able to obtain, detectives saw a man that matched Steven's description driving a white Dodge Neon out of the Poinciana Gardens neighborhood, where he was staying at 1.10am, then returning a short time later at one29 They observed that during the drive, a U-turn was made by the driver just north of Trisha's home. Then at 2.04am, the vehicle was once again seen leaving the Poinciana Gardens neighborhood and driving near Trisha's house just seven minutes later at 2:11, For over two hours, there were no sightings of the car or driver until 4 a.m. when a neighbor's surveillance camera captured Trisha's car being parked in the driveway across the street from her house. A male matching Steven's description, wearing a dark shirt, light-colored pants, dark footwear, and wearing a large backpack was captured on the footage. The clothing described matched that of typical military fatigues. Further evaluation of the footage showed the man walking back to the Poinciana Gardens neighborhood after leaving Trisha's vehicle behind. Based on the video evidence retrieved, detectives wanted to go back yet again and speak with Stephen about the story he had previously provided. And on May 23rd, just after a month after Trisha first disappeared... Detectives traveled up to Raleigh to conduct an interview with Stephen Williams. After being read his Miranda rights, detectives wanted Stephen to walk them through the last time he saw Trisha in the early morning hours of April 27th. According to Stephen, just before midnight, he texted Trisha, stating that their daughter was being fussy and was asking for her. Shortly after midnight, Trisha arrived and checked on their daughter, finding that while she did have a fever, it wasn't of concern. At that point, Stephen recalled that they sat and watched television together with their daughter until she fell asleep. Once their daughter was put back in bed, Stephen then claims he walked Trisha out to her car but found that it was out of gasoline. Stephen stated that when he walked through the Airbnb looking for a gas can, he was unable to find one, so he spoke with a neighbor who was outside and asked for a gas can, but that the neighbor didn't have one. Ultimately, he was left driving his own car to a nearby Shell gas station where he purchased a gas can and fuel with the $20 bill that Trisha had given to him. Stephen then explained that once he arrived back at his rental home, he put the gas in Trisha's car and she drove away, that it was the last time he had seen her. But detectives wanted to show Stephen the surveillance footage they pulled from that evening. They explained that they had video to show that Stephen drove away with Trisha's car and then made a U-turn by her house just after two o'clock in the morning. Stephen didn't seem to have an answer about the video, stating that once he got Trisha gas for her car, she drove away and he went inside and went to bed. But detectives showed footage of a man matching Steven's general description, then walking down the highway back to the neighborhood where he was renting a home after abandoning Trisha's car across the street from her house. Stephen denied that it was him in the video, claiming instead that he was fast asleep by 4 a.m. when the surveillance footage captured the dark figure walking by. Detectives opined early on to Stephen their belief that the man captured on the video in multiple instances was in fact him, and after some time, Stephen began to tell a much different story. After being confronted with the surveillance video recovered from the Poinciana Gardens neighborhood, Trisha's neighborhood, and from businesses along the route to and from Stephen's Airbnb, Stephen explained that Trisha arrived at his rental at around midnight. He then explained that while they were watching television, she stated that she needed her laptop from her house and asked Stephen if he'd be able to go get it for her. Stephen reluctantly agreed and then drove her car back to her house saw that her brother was at the house when he arrived. He claimed at that moment that was why he made a U-turn and drove back to the Airbnb. He further stated that once he had arrived back, Trisha's car was sputtering because it was out of gas, so he went back inside of the Airbnb and told her that her car was on empty. He then drove to the Shell gas station where he purchased a gas can and a couple of gallons of fuel and then returned back to the rental. When he walked inside to let Trisha know that he had put some gasoline into her car, he claimed that he found her on the ground in their daughter's room and that she was unresponsive. As Stephen moved in closer to check on Trisha, he noted that her breathing was shallow and that there was a cut on her forehead. According to Stephen, panic began to set in as he began fearing he'd lose his job in the military. So he picked Trisha up and placed her in the backseat of her car and and walked back into the rental to think about what to do next. He then claimed that at around 2.11 a.m., he got into her car and began driving. During that drive, Stephen continued trying to think of what to do next with Trisha and ultimately came upon a rural dirt road. After driving a ways down the road, he pulled over and unloaded Trisha's body out of the car. He explained that he placed her limp body on the side of the road and then put her wallet and iPhone next to her on the ground, in the event someone found her or she woke up, that there would be some form of identification and means of communication. This all took place while his young daughter was allegedly sleeping alone back at the Airbnb rental. Stephen then went on to explain that after he left Tricia on that dirt road, he drove back to her house and left her car in a neighbor's driveway, and then walked back to his rental, admitting the man captured on video surveillance... Was indeed him. Detectives asked Stephen why he didn't call for help or call for an ambulance, and he explained that he was just too freaked out, and in the past, Trisha had done things to maliciously ruin his life early on in their relationship. He feared this might be another one of those instances. Detectives then asked Stephen if he remembered where he took Trisha's body, but Stephen claimed he didn't know. He could only recall taking a right turn at an intersection and another right onto the dirt road. Stephen was then asked if he would accompany detectives back to Hope Sound in an effort to look for Tricia, a request to which he voluntarily agreed. And that following morning on May 24th, detectives took Stephen to Orlando, where they then drove to Hope Sound. Their first stop was the Airbnb he rented just the month before. A video walkthrough of the home was obtained while Stephen showed them where he initially found Trisha, lying face down and unresponsive in a bedroom.
1: Where was she? She was in here.
3: She was laying this way. You had mentioned she had uh, a cut or something on her?
1: She had a small mark on her head, um, just towards the top, up here.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think that was from?
1: I just, I have no idea.
0: After conducting the walkthrough with Stephen, they wanted to take them to where he left her body, even though he couldn't fully remember where that was. As they got back into the car, Stephen seemingly had a breakdown and began crying, wiping tears from his face. Detectives assured him that he was doing the right thing by helping them with their investigation, explaining that they needed to know where she was. Stephen continued claiming that he wasn't sure the exact location of where he had left her body.
3: Show us where you went with her. Show your daughter right that you took us to her mother. You need no. to show her right. She's going to grow up saying, "My dad is something to my mom."
0: After not being able to provide the information that detectives were looking for, Stephen was transported to the Martin County Sheriff's Office for additional questioning.
3: All okay. right, okay. listen. I want to, to kind of talk
2: to you about what's going on with this, okay? And I've been involved with this case from the beginning. Okay. I've seen everything that we have. I've seen all the interviews. And at this point, I know we've come in and we talked to you over and over and over again. We've talked to you and Rowling. We've talked to you here. And we've always talked about the past. What happened that night, what happened that night, what happened that night. What I want to do is I want to kind of talk to you about the future where we're going from here. Okay. Now I'm you, you've already heard about all the stuff that we got. I mean there's no question about what happened that night. We know that it's more than you're telling us. we know that you were involved with with her death. We know that, okay? So the question is not what happened or anything like that. What we need to understand is going forward, okay, there's going to be a trial, okay? there's going to be there's going to be everybody looking at this. You've seen how these things they get huge. The media gets involved, and everybody's going to have an opinion about what happened. And everybody's going to have an opinion about you and your relationship and what kind of person you are. Okay? And the thing that, that we're trying to do here is, I, I mean, I talked to you earlier. You're a nice guy. I like you. I mean, I think we could be friends, you know, in dur- different circumstances. But here's the thing. You know, there's going to be two narratives going forward. Okay? And what I want to do is try to give you the opportunity to kind of tell me more about what narrative actually happened. Okay, so what, what we're looking at is, you know, there, there's the one option. Okay, and that's the option that you were kind of getting from earlier when, when Tom was in here, which is, you know, you planned this. You came down here with the intent, purpose to to hurt Trisha, that you were going to, that you planned to ditch her car here in some calculated way, and you plan to go put her in a certain place that she, nobody could find her and all that kind of stuff? And and that sounds pretty bad, right? I mean, oh, sounds, it, that's, I mean, you wouldn't agree with that, okay?
0: Detective Dula, who was conducting the interview with Stephen, explained that he could understand and sympathize with some of the things Stephen had allegedly endured throughout his marriage, having done a thorough background check on both of them and seeing that at one point in time, Trisha filed domestic battery charges against Stephen and then dropped them a short time later. But for detectives working the case, they needed to understand what actually happened inside of that Airbnb, because much of what Stephen told them up to that point was directly contradicted by forensic evidence they now had in their possession.
2: Okay, I've done a lot of research in your background. And I know what it was like with Trisha. I know what kind of stuff you went through. I know she had a wild streak when she was younger. I know what she did. And she came after you, you know, in that, that domestic thing that happened before. I know how that started, okay? We've seen the reports. We know it all happened. We know she went back and said, no, the whole thing was made up because she started, it, okay? What I think is more to me, having known you, having known the background of everything between you and her, everybody's going to have their own opinion. But I can see that. I think probably what happened was something more like she started something that night. Okay, and you know, having known what her background was, having known how she treats you, okay, I've seen text messages. I've seen how when she says to you, okay, I know what kind of stuff she she's always bitching at you about stuff. I get that. I see that. Okay, so I can see how that would kind of go that direction that night. All right, so. What I want to do is try to try to set the, set the stage so that you can actually tell the narrative about what actually happened, which is not that you planned all this, okay? Not that you planned down here to come down here and kill her and send her out in the woods like some sort of mass murderer. I mean, really? I mean, like, like you're going to chop her up into little bits or something like that? I mean, that, that seems kind of ridiculous, okay? It seems far-fetched, like you said, okay?
0: For Stephen, it was indeed a far-fetched idea that he would chop his ex-wife up into pieces because, quote, I'm just not that kind of person. But Detective Dula explained to Stephen that they know he was there when Tricia was hurt, whether it was intentional or not. He was there. The veteran detective wanted to level with Stephen, explaining that in some way he could understand the panic that likely set in after Tricia had been hurt.
2: But sometimes shit just happens. And now here it is. So now you've got to make a choice. Okay? Do you call the cops and roll the dice that we're going to believe your story? Or do you try to do the you you go into a little bit of panic mode? And trust me, if I was in the scene, I don't know what I would have done. Okay? I couldn't even imagine being in that position. But I can understand going into that panic mode of holy shit, what do I need to do now? And so your first plan, I mean, you told us that your plan was that you were just going to take her back to the house and you were going to leave her there, which I understand because she's going to be back by her house and people are going to find her and, you know, then maybe maybe they'll, maybe they'll look otherwhere, other places. You know what I mean?
0: Stephen continued sticking to his news story that he came back to the Airbnb and simply found Tricia unresponsive. But Detective Dula explained to Stephen that based on what evidence they had and what they now knew, his claims, in fact, could not be factually accurate. Every time you tell us some version of what happened,
1: it gets closer to the truth. And I appreciate that because so you... And then I say, oh, yeah, she attacked me. You come back in here, I'm like, okay, so you attacked her. Like, no, that's not what I said. So then you're just going to have me going down this rabbit hole of different stories now. I, I don't want that either. I like, don't... I, like I told
2: you, okay, I, I can prove I can prove one thing. Okay, I can prove that you were at the house with Trisha when she was injured. I can prove that. So the question lies with you as to, you're the only one who was there with her. Like I said, you're the only person who can tell us what happened. So this is your opportunity to tell us what happened in the house before you left. Because that's when I know she was injured, I can prove that. What I need to know is what happened in the house. Because I know what you're telling me is a lie, and I can prove that.
1: But if you stick with that story, and I can prove that it's a lie, everyone's going to assume the worst. They assume the worst? If I, if I sit here and say, yeah, we argued, she attacked me, then they're just going to assume, okay, you being the bigger, stronger person, you hit her, or you did something to her, or you you in some way hurt her, and that I never, ever would do I'm, that. I'm not asking, I mean, you, I'm not asking you to make up a story. Bag. I didn't come down here with some dubious plan scheme. I didn't. Ha- exactly. I'm not that kind of person. And
2: that's and that's what I'm saying, is that you're not that type of person. But by continuing to lie to us about what happened and when it happened, you're opening that door for everyone to assume it. And you know everyone's going to assume it. They They're already I don't. They I don't assume before that. Before. If I thought that was the case, I wouldn't be in here talking to you right now. Because if I thought you had this murder bag and you came down here with the express intent to kill Trisha, I'd be like, you know what? There's no sense in talking to this guy. He's a psychopath and he's and he's not even he's not worth anybody's time. That's why we're divorced, but I'm not gonna murder the woman. But I'm not gonna That's that's why I want to come in here and talk to you and try to give you the opportunity to set the record straight and tell us the truth about what happened with Trisha. Because I know what you're telling us right now is a lie. I don't want you to be stuck in this lie, because once I write it in my report, it's done. This is what Stephen told us, and that's it.
0: Eventually, Stephen broke down and began retelling his side of the story, this time more so lining up with what detectives already knew to be true. I
1: don't even know where, it just, just I don't go, know, it just, just happened. happened. Talk, just talk happened. to me about, from midnight,
2: he texted her. Faith, Faith was
1: upset. I would have never texted her
2: otherwise. i was right. already late and she would already left. I would have never texted and her. And you're a good dad. Just, so you wanted, her, you wanted to give Faith what she wanted.
1: That's it. That's all I was trying to do was just be a good dad. Just, okay, you want your mom? Fine. Like, I'm not going to deny you that, you know? Mm-hmm. So so the, I te- yeah, Faith wants you, you know, just come by. That's fine. And then, no, I never liked her around. I never liked being a one-on-one situation. I could never predict her. Another version of her I'm getting at that moment, and so no, I never like being in a one-on-one situation. Just yeah. because just like now, there's only, only my word or her or whatever, and I can't change how things freaking look. Right. So yeah, she came over and she was in faith, and then she just started talking about nonsense and bringing up child support and just more stupid stuff. And I just, for the most part, tried to ignore, and then. Yeah, there was a mix up with the check, but that's not my fault because you told me this was your address. So, yeah, that's where I mailed it to. And then she's telling me that's not the mailing address. It's, so, what am I don't like that's not my fault. If you told me you moved, I did the responsible thing and I made sure the check was going to go wherever you moved to if you're not at your mom's house. And then she's just going on and on and on. Now I owe her more money and back child support. And, just, and I'm just sitting here like, then I'll fix it. I'll send you another. I'll do something, but I don't have the money now. So, just. Give me some time, like, because that money, since you didn't get it on time, is already spent. I spent it to come here, and now I need a little more time to get it to you. And now she's talking about how she's going to go to court and all this other stuff, and it's my fault. And I'm just like, this isn't even my fault. Like, you told me you moved, so I've adjusted it. Like, just calm down. Like, this isn't even that serious.
0: Stephen explained that the conversation about the missing child support check Continued on and on, and though he tried to rationalize things with Trisha, she became more irate, threatening to go to the courts, which would ultimately cause issues with his career. No matter how much Stephen claimed that he attempted to de-escalate the situation, he stated that Tricia continued pressing on, issuing veiled threats his way and eventually, allegedly, getting into his face.
1: "Don't she just gets in my face about it, and I'm like, what? Why are you so mad right now? Like, is it because I called you this late? It just, it just completely got out of hand. And then just the whole pointing and the, the, I just, it just all went bad, just so fast. She just went from zero to 100 and I'm trying to understand like what just happened. Like you were just here earlier. Everything was fine. You left. I only called you because Faith wanted you and now we're arguing about something that I'm sitting here thinking this is unbelievably trivial, and this can be fixed. I can fix this by the first. Just give me time. I'll make sure you get the money, or I'll make it in two separate payments, or whatever you need me to do. And it's just not. It's just not good. It's not going to work. None of this works. So then, you know, we leave faith on the couch, and she eventually falls asleep anyway. But she's still like arguing with me over in the, the, the foyer area, and I'm just like, please, just leave then. Just. Go, no, I'm not leaving till we fix this, like, just, just get out, like, I don't, I don't know what you want from me, Tricia, I don't have any money for you, I don't have any cash for you, I can't give you anything right now, I spent the little money I had, which is why I drove here, just to see faith, that's why I didn't fly, I didn't get a real car like I normally do, I'm not in a hotel, well, I didn't want to do the hotel thing, but I don't have money, like, mm-hmm. I just, I paid so much money to the debt, i don't have any more money okay i just don't i'm like pretty much strapped when it comes to cash but i'm paycheck to paycheck and even then i'm not making it right now and it just it's just it doesn't matter you owe me money you need to pay your debts this is always your fault you're always spending your money and it's just on and on and on to the point where now i'm just trying to like walk away now i can't walk away because you're circling me and like, you're jumping in front of my face and you just it, just got so aggressive and I'm just trying to back away and de-escalate and I can't even leave the house now. You know, I don't want to push you. I don't want to touch you. I don't want to anything with you because all I'm having, I'm just thinking about flashbacks of before when you just blew all this, this shit up for no reason and then now I'm getting arrested but only after the fact did you go and, you know, say that it wasn't my fault. No, no one else knows that now but only after the fact that I got arrested. All I'm thinking, I'm just, just flashbacks. I moved, I go to push her away, and then she gets really pissed about that, and then she gets even more aggressive and in my face and pushing me back. And I'm like, "Would you please just stop? Like, I don't want. I don't want this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're so mad. I don't know if you, if you took a freaking crazy pill all the way over here and that really pissed her off. And uh, it just, it just escalated. And then I just moved her away, and then she slipped. And that's when she freaking fell, and I'm like, oh shit, I asked her if she was okay. It was like a weird sound. She didn't say anything, though. And then I freaking panicked, and then I, I just freaking panicked.
0: Steven then went on to explain that after Trisha fell, he had no idea what she had hit her head on, but that he heard labored and raspy breathing coming from her immediately after. When he tried to rouse her awake, Steven stated that he then realized she was badly injured and began to panic. This set forth a chain of events in which Stephen felt that he needed to hide Trisha by taking her out of the rental home. Now that detectives had the details of what allegedly had transpired during those early morning hours on April 27th, they still needed to know where Stephen took Trisha.
2: You know the next question I'm going to ask you.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: And I know you don't want to, but we need to know
1: where Trisha is. I don't know. I really don't have a freaking clue where that was. I just, I just, I just, and I just drove. And I knew, I I went through a million and one scenarios in my head of what to do, and none of them were good. All of them just ended bad. Okay. I I didn't pay attention to anything. I just drove, and as I drove, I just, I didn't, I didn't read any signs, I, didn't, I just drove and I just tried to think about a to fix it. And I couldn't fix it, and it was just bad all around and I'm just like, no matter what, I'm screwed. Like, I am screwed no matter what. I can't go back, I can't, I can't go to the hospital now. If I do, how does that look? I don't even know what to do at this point. I'm just freaking out because I just didn't want any of this. I didn't want anything to do with any of that. I'm being a dad.
2: I get it. I understand. <laughs> All right. And Stephen, I want to. I want to help you do the best you can from here. Okay. And I know shit happens. It does. It, does. it happens to good people. Okay, it doesn't make you
1: a bad person. But I don't know where she is, and I can't take her to where she you, is, and I'm still screwed. We gotta try to I can't remember remember that. I don't know where that was I just okay. it was just
2: a random place.
0: All Stephen could remember about the location of where he left Trisha's body was that it was on a rural dirt road. He claimed that he was in such a panic and fog that he wasn't paying attention to his surroundings in the area that led him to where he finally placed her. Stephen did recall something about a place called Southeast Bridge Road, and then taking a right turn down a dirt path. He then told Detective Dula that he remembered after laying Trisha on the ground, he looked down at her and she looked, quote, peaceful as I once remembered her to be. Stephen also stated that it was at this time he knew Trisha was in fact deceased. Once the interview concluded, Stephen was detained and transferred back to the Martin County Jail. following day on May 25th, Martin County Sheriff William Snyder announced that Stephen Williams had been arrested and was subsequently charged with Trisha Todd's murder.
3: He confessed to our detectives, and uh, the reason he confessed now would probably be something we'll find out later if he talks further maybe during trial. We know from past uh, cases that people's conscience weighs on them. Uh, oftentimes people really want to get something off their chest. Oftentimes people, when they are confronted with what appears to be insurmountable uh, evidence.
0: Following the press conference with Sheriff Snyder, a Todd family representative spoke with the media and provided them with their official statement.
2: They're just, you know, obviously they're very disappointed, but um, they're, they're, they're thankful for the support of the, the community, the Christian community. They're thankful for God's grace sustaining them, is, is, their, is their words, that um, God has, has sustained them through the Christian community and friends and the good community of Hope Sound. So they're, they're very grateful for all of that.
0: On May 26th, just one day after Stephen was arrested and formally charged in the murder of his ex-wife, Trisha Todd, the Martin County Sheriff's Office had a special announcement. In a new written statement, the Sheriff's Office explained, quote, Today, Stephen Williams, former husband of Trisha Todd, pleaded no contest to second-degree murder. He will receive 35 years in prison. As part of the plea deal, he agreed to lead Martin County Sheriff's Office and members of the state's attorney's office to the site of Trisha's body, located deep inside the Hungry Land State Preserve off Pratt Whitney Road. At this hour, Sheriff William Snyder, MCSO detectives, forensic teams, members of the state attorney's office, and MCFR are on the scene to begin excavating a specific site. We will be working through the night, and we'll update everyone as we can. Out at the Hungryland State Preserve, Stephen, clad in his reddish-orange jail jumpsuit and shackled at the ankles and wrists, carried around small red flags as he walked with detectives, all of which was captured on video. In the footage, Stephen was seen walking for quite some time until he came upon what appeared to be a path created by a vehicle, at which point he bent over and placed a flag into the semi-recently disturbed ground. Stephen was led away from the scene as crime scene technicians and investigators began working to excavate. As the daylight grew into darkness, many were hard at work digging in the area that Stephen had marked. Eventually, they hit something a blue two foot by three foot plastic tote container. After lifting the box out of the ground, the contents found inside were highly disturbing. A pelvis and portions of two upper thighs were inside. Though law enforcement now had some semblance of what was left of Trisha Todd, Martin County Sheriff William Snyder spoke with the media regarding their gruesome discovery. He also stated that he was hoping to have Stephen's plea deal canceled based on the fact that Trisha's remains were dismembered, a detail which he believed could negate the original plea agreement. Because of the gory details which weren't released publicly, many questioned how Stephen was able to get a plea deal in the first place. Sheriff Snyder stated, Negotiating a plea deal with somebody charged with second degree murder is not unheard of, but in this particular case, it was essential if we wanted to get that body back. I'm satisfied that we have recovered the remains of Trisha Todd. I'm satisfied that the family can move on to begin a healing process. I'm satisfied with that. This is not a perfect world, this is not a perfect system. I don't always get everything I want. Though detectives believed they initially had the answers as to what led to Trisha's tragic death, they would learn that Stephen was that man. You know, the man who claimed it was far-fetched from the beginning that he would, quote, chop my ex-wife into pieces. Just as he had told Detective Dula days before. everything about Trisha Todd's untimely death was planned out well in advance before Stephen's arrival in Hobe Sound. Detectives working the case spoke with Stephen's mother, who told them that when she last spoke with Trisha, her former daughter-in-law stated that Stephen despised her. She also recalled a conversation she had with her son, in which he allegedly told his mother, quote, Trisha can poof disappear search warrants for Stephen's home in Raleigh, as well as his electronic devices, unleashed a treasure trove of new evidentiary information. In the days leading up to his first interview with detectives, and shortly after Trisha went missing, Stephen began looking into a drug called GABA, short for gabapentin, a slang term often used to describe the drug Neurontin, one of many drugs used to control and manage seizures. But what most don't know is that this substance allows one to essentially fool a lie detector test. In the text message exchange with his girlfriend at the time, Stephen sent the following message. Take some GABA. The message came as the pair likely anticipated being polygraphed by detectives, as research for how to beat a polygraph examination was also found in some of Stephen's online searches. At Stephen's home, detectives recovered Trisha's white iPhone and pink wallet, both of which were missing at the beginning of the investigation. Both items he claimed to have originally left with her body. Financial records also showed that Stephen made purchases at a local Home Depot prior to his trip down to Hobe Sound. Some of the purchases from that trip included a chainsaw, reciprocating saw, and acid. Eventually, Stephen told detectives what truly happened to Tricia in her final moments. And I want to warn you, the details are horrific. Listener discretion is advised from this point on. When Stephen arrived in the Hobe Sound area, he took a day to drive around and found himself at the Land State Preserve. While out there, he found a spot and began digging a hole in which he'd later bring Trisha's body to. During the early morning hours of April 27th, when Trisha first arrived at Stephen's Airbnb, there was a fight which occurred in which Stephen ruthlessly beat Trisha she suffered blow after blow after blow of her ex-husband's wrath until she let out her last breath. At this point, Stephen placed Trisha's body in her vehicle and drove her out to the Hungryland State Preserve where he had dug the hole. Upon arriving, Stephen removed Trisha from the vehicle and began crudely removing her teeth and fingertips, anything that could identify her if found. He then scattered her digits and teeth near the lakeshore a short walk away. Once that grisly task was completed, Stephen then began carefully dismembering Trisha's body, placing several parts inside of the plastic toad until he was finished. Once he was done, he poured the acid inside of the bag where the body parts were now stored. After closing the lid, Stephen placed the plastic container inside of the hole and began covering it with dirt. He then walked to the lake and threw in the chainsaw and reciprocating saws before departing back to his Airbnb. Eventually, law enforcement were able to find the power tools located inside of the lake, where Stephen told them he had thrown them. But clearly, his effort to destroy any remaining forensic evidence on the saws had failed miserably, because bits of Trisha's flesh and hair were recovered from their blades. After the power tools had been located, CSI then began scouring the lakeshore where Stephen claimed to have placed Trisha's teeth and fingertips. Photos taken at the scene showed many CSI members down on their hands and knees, carefully searching through the sand and gravel. Eventually, those remains, too, were found. Back at the Hungryland State Preserve, Trisha's younger brother, Nathan, spoke with the media.
3: As a reporter, this has been a very difficult story for me to follow. As her brother, I can only begin to imagine how difficult this has been for you and for your family. How is your family doing? Well, um... For the circumstances, I think if we just analyze it and just take a, take a step back and think about what all is going on. Um, look at Trisha. She is now confirmed that she is with God in eternity. We're in a place, in a very real place called heaven where there's no more tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering. She doesn't have to, to worry about any more pain on this earth. She's with the God of the Bible that loves her and then sent his son to die for her. So I think that she is very happy where she's at. Um, and then if you look at faith, well, she has a very big and family of eight and a lot of cousins and grandmas and everything that, that love and, and will take good care of her. I think that she's in a very loving and nurturing home.
0: As more and more details of the case became public, many continued questioning how Stephen was only looking at 35 years in prison, given the gruesome nature and premeditation of Tricia Todd's murder. And while the Todd family was grieving the loss of their beloved Tricia, her father walked with CBS reporters to the very place where his daughter had been so crudely mutilated. When speaking about Stephen, David Todd explained that he had forgiven his former son-in-law, but wanted the rest of her remains recovered to hold up his end of the plea deal, in which the family had originally agreed to. Though it may have been hard for anyone to be at that place where such a horrendous thing had happened to a loved one, David explained that his love of his daughter made it easier for him to be there. While speaking of Tricia, David stated, My eyes would light up when I saw Tricia. She was so precious to me. Reporters asked David to elaborate further on Stephen upholding his end of the plea agreement, to which David responded, God allowed him to have this beautiful wife, and he became ungrateful that she wasn't enough for him to where he hacked her with a chainsaw. Somewhere he made a mess with that chainsaw. We made a deal with him. 35 years, and you give us the body. He is hiding some of her body. He may have taken it. Who knows? They are going to ask for the rest of our promise. His promise was to show us our daughter. On September 29, 2016, Stephen appeared in court to be sentenced in accordance with the plea agreement he accepted in which he would plead no contest to second-degree murder, Unfortunately, Stephen was sentenced to 35 years in prison. At the time of the sentencing, the judge presiding over the case explained that he understood that the sentence received was quote, clearly less than full justice. But opined had it not been for the plea, the Todd family may have never been able to recover Trisha's remains. After Stephen's sentencing had concluded, questions remained about how the state could justify accepting this plea agreement with a now-convicted ex-airman, if all of Trisha's remains were never even fully recovered. Sheriff Snyder stated, The labs reconstructed it using the same amount of acid and reported to us, we had in fact undoubtedly recovered all of the remains. In the years following Trisha's murder, through grief and a lack of understanding as to why Stephen killed her in the first place, the Todd family has been able to forgive their former son-in-law despite the horrendous events he put Trisha through. One year after Trisha's disappearance and subsequent death, her brother Kendall posted a YouTube video where he talked about his sister's murder and how he leaned heavily on faith in the Bible to begin the long road to healing.
3: Hey guys, I want to talk to you today about something um, really, really impacted my life a lot. I made fishing videos and videos on how to get silver and whatever and um. This is something that uh, happened to me, which was unexpected for me. And my sister got murdered. Her ex-husband murdered her. He took a chainsaw. He cut her up. And he put her in acid. And this happened close to a year ago. And the grief I felt was intense. And we didn't know about it all right away. She was missing. She just was missing. And people, the community were, was, was coming out and they were looking for her and I was looking for her. And we were looking and trying to find her and we, we, we did not know where she was. And some people may have gone through a type of experience where they lost a loved one And there's seven boys in my family, and there's one girl, and she was the one girl. Her name was Trisha Todd. Her last name was Williams. You can Google the story if you want Trisha Todd Williams. Type in nurse or something. Or Trisha Todd, Hope Sound. Trisha Todd Williams, Hope Sound. Trisha Todd, nurse, something like that. And you Google and you can look. And the grief we felt was intense. And I just want you to know, if you're ever going through a hard time like what we did, there is a way to get peace and forgiveness. And I turned to God and I started listening to the Bible one day. It may have been around seven or eight hours. And I was, I was turning to God and the Bible, um, I was learning and is in, and, um, and I would pray to God for what I need. And I would thank him for what he's done and God gave me peace and God gave me forgiveness and it was excruciating pain that we dealt with. And my brother-in-law who did it, Stephen Williams, he's in prison right now in Florida and he was in the Air Force actually. <clears throat> but um, I just wanna say, if you're going through something, you can turn to God and you can say, God help. God, I need comfort. God, I need help. God, I need forgiveness. You know, Sometimes people think, well, I'm not gonna forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. What he did was wrong, and they think <clears throat> that they can somehow hurt the other person by not forgiving, but guys, I wanna tell you something. If you don't forgive someone, what happens is it's drinking. It's like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. Because if you don't forgive someone, God won't forgive you, and it'll actually hurt you if you don't forgive. And God has given me forgiveness. I talked to my brother-in-law on the phone, and I was actually able to say, to say this to him. I was able to say, I love you.
0: While telling Trisha's story to the world, the Todd family hopes that those going through a domestic situation are able to seek help and to find a way out. If you or anyone you know are suffering from domestic violence, please do not be afraid to talk to a loved one or a trusted friend or coworker. And above all else, remember that you are loved and cared for. The number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. We often analyze the crimes that people commit as well as the excuses they inevitably use in an effort to avoid prosecution for said crimes. But rarely do we come across someone as manipulative and cunning as Stephen Williams, who for over a month held critical information from detectives involving Trisha Todd's death to himself. And when that time finally came for Stephen to reveal the truth, he was a cunning liar holding those details closest to his own chest, explaining that Trisha's death was that of a simple accident, knowing damn well the horrendous nature of his crimes, and using his lies to help negotiate a better plea deal in the end. If only law enforcement and prosecutors knew then what they know now, perhaps Stephen Williams wouldn't be waking up every day with the sliver of hope knowing that he will one day be released from prison.